The nail in the coffin! Episode number 57 of The Nail. We are recording on a snowy Thursday night, and uh, we have developing news. Trav, it looks like uh, Mr. Kyle Korver on his way to the Cavs. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, it looks like the uh, Mike Dunleavy experiment has officially ended, and uh, Cavs got themselves a shooter to hold him over till JR comes back at least. Um, and after that, give him some depth. Should we have realized something might have been up with Dunleavy when the Cavs were basically... Uh, one step away from calling me and you to play last night, and he still couldn't get off the bench, even though he was dressed. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know. I I never really thought he was going to do a whole lot for this team, anyways. Um, so, so I guess I guess maybe we should have seen that coming. But he gave him about as much as I expected him to. So maybe I'm just uh, maybe I'm just ignoring it. See, I I had higher expectations. I I wasn't thinking like Mike Dunleavy in his prime or anything like that. But I mean, he was still a productive guy and I think it was kind of exciting to get him basically in a situation where they had given up, you know, they lost Delhi to, to the bucks and through some real creative cap management, they ended up turning that into a sign and trade to Milwaukee. Even when Milwaukee didn't have to do that, they could have just signed him outright and the Cavs were able to use that sign and trade trade exception in order to pick up Dunleavy from the Bulls because they were getting Dwayne Wade and that whole thing. So basically the Cavs got Mike Dunleavy for nothing, and it seemed like that was going to be a really exciting uh, way to improve the team considering they had very limited resources. By the way, David Griffin, is he the MacGyver of NBA roster construction now? Uh, My favorite, uh, the favorite comment I saw on Twitter today was they should start calling him uh, David Gryffindor because he's a wizard, which <laughs> made me chuckle as a, as a Harry Potter enthusiast. Um, but it, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, you saw what he did last year um, and two years ago, obviously the JR and Amon deal. And then last year I'm blanking. Channing what was Fry. it last year? Channing Fry. Thank you. Um, he just pulls all the right strings. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I guess yes. He to answer your question, yes. He's everything he does seems to be the right move, and it's things that you're just like, wait, I didn't really see any way that that would happen, but he's able to figure it out. It's um, it, it's wild, and the thing that's even crazier is that the Cavs somehow still have a few assets left that they can work with. Like as far as we know, Mo Williams is not part of this deal, and and his contract is probably going to come off the books one way or the other. At some point here in the they next six weeks. They got a trade exception too still, right? There's a trade exception that they got from the Verizhou trade last year, I think. I don't know. I think that was where that one came from. And then uh, Birdman, that's that's a $1.5 million contract lurking on the books as well. So the fact that they were able to go get um, a shooter, the quality of Kyle Korver, and and give up, again, very little next to nothing, it's, it's unbelievable for the Cavs and Yet again, David Griffin, unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, he's one. Of, he's one. Corver is one of those names that I feel like Griffin's kind of had his eye on for a while now. I feel like it's always been thrown around, and it's always like, yeah, well, the Cavs can't make it happen. And it's certainly not Cal Corver of like 
three years ago, but he's still a guy that uh, LeBron and Kyrie are going to create open looks for him. And, and if there's one thing shooters can do, it's shoot. So he is um, still, I believe I read a little while ago, I was trying to brush up on some stats. He is still the best spot up shooter in the league. So he'll have a place on the team. Yeah. (laughs) So so that'll work out nice. And to just give you an idea of what he's walking into, Channing Fry is number two. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think it's awesome. It'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. Um, Do you think he'll start like when JR comes back? Do you think he'll start in front of JR? Do you think JR will keep that spot? That'll be interesting. JR will probably hold on to it. I think he's obviously as, as soon as he's ready to go and clears his physical and all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted and all that stuff. He's going to be starting in the meantime, but what happens once JR is back, I think is largely going to be dependent on how Kyle Korver plays in the meantime. I, um, and really what JR looks like when he gets back. Cause I mean, it's looking right now, like if that original timeline holds from when JR got his surgery, that he's going to be back, what, like end of March. So you're looking at maybe a little over two weeks left in the regular season from that point on. So he's not really going to have a ton of time to knock the rest off before the playoffs start. Although I guess you could probably consider the first round to be a a nice tune up for him as well. So we'll, uh, we'll see, but in the meantime, at least thank God, I don't think we're going to have to be looking at too many more games with the starting backcourt of Jordan McRae and Deandre Liggins. Yeah. that (laughs) You texted me last night uh, about, uh, who who are you texting? McCray. McCray, yeah. Um, like that. He's just he's just this awkward, funny guy to watch, and I'm with you. It's like watching him play it, uh, on TV yesterday. They he's a he's a 2012 a Cavalier who somehow fell onto their 2017 roster. Like he's, that he's whole like Ira, dark Ira era Google. Byron Scott, Mike Brown, uh, coach teams for the four years LeBron was gone, and just the revolving door of of got awful players that you can't wait to forget semi Erden <laughs> and Samardo Samuels and Joey Graham and Earl Clark. And, um, God, I'm just giving myself, uh, horrible flashbacks today. here. Tell me I he wouldn't have fit in perfectly today. with that crew. Oh, absolutely. And he may very well. I mean, he'll be one of those guys that, I mean, if you look back at, um, the O uh, O seven team, if, if they had somehow managed to win the who's who of guys on that team, I have a feeling if you pulled out that roster right now and read down each name, every one of them would be like, oh, yeah, he was on that team. And you'll laugh about it. And then you'll move to the next one because it's like, how the hell did they do anything with that guy on the team? Um, obviously, this team's a little bit deeper, not quite as reliant on one guy as that team was. But um, oh, seven, though, those guys were at least like likable. I mean, that. Uh- the 2010 through 2014, man. Oh, I have very, very, very bad memories of that. And many nights yelling at my television. Ironically though, one of those guys to me was Tristan Thompson. He had a rough first uh, year or two. He he definitely did. Um, Like wildly uncoordinated, just flailing around. Um, I couldn't stand him. I hated the draft pick when they made it and I couldn't stand watching him play. Obviously he's come a long way. And when he's, you know, your fourth or fifth option and options even kind of a loose term because they don't even really, you know, he's their fourth. I mean, he's not necessarily one of your big scoring options, but he's absolutely your number four core piece. Yeah. He's not necessarily an option, 
um, because you, you'll never run offense through him. But no. um, I agree with you. Yeah, he's your fourth most, fourth best player, fourth uh, most significant contributor for sure. Because of the because of the sometimes ugly stuff that when you're on a good team, it looks a lot better than when you're on a bad team. He found a niche and and continually yeah, improved and yep. grew for, in ways that uh, uh, you know um, some of those other horrifying names that I just dropped a few minutes ago didn't and that's why he's still in the league and Ryan Hollins is probably flipping burgers somewhere now so <laughs> Ryan Hollins wow you're just gonna keep pulling him out aren't you <laughs> I love it I love it oh but anyway I you know you and I we were kind of kicking around some ideas on what we wanted to do with this week's episode before uh, we got started in the last few days we were you know we we're texting back and forth and we were thinking uh, New Year, same us. You know, we're still here, but uh, maybe this might be a good week to throw out some New Year's resolutions or some predictions for 2017. And yeah, you know, it's just kind of funny that this whole thing with Corver broke uh, when it did about an hour and a half before we started recording. Because number one on my list was uh, a prediction that the Cavs were going to do something with their roster before Saturday, and. Lo and behold, David Griffin is just so great. He goes and gets it done before I can even get the words out as we're recording. Um, but uh, I I still, I don't think the Cavs are done yet because the move that I thought they were going to be making was going to be getting rid of Jordan McRae one way or the other, whether it's in a trade or uh, putting or waving him or, you know, whatever. I, I figured he was going to be done by Saturday because um, he's on a non-guaranteed contract and contracts become guaranteed next Tuesday, I believe. But in order to get rid of somebody um, and not have their, those non-guarantees become guaranteed on Tuesday. But if you want to avoid that, you have to waive them by Saturday. So I don't think Jordan McRae is long for this team. And uh, he certainly, uh, his opportunities are going to be more limited now with Corver coming in. So uh, I'm going to do is who you think they'll go after. Well, I mean, the big albatross that's out there right now in the roster is still they they don't have a real veteran backup point guard. Um, And, you know, that's something that we've talked about on here for quite a while. And I I think that's still a need. I think they're still really thin on the front line. I mean, who are their bigs right now? It's Tristan and Kevin Love and Channing Frye, and that's it. And, and, yeah, I mean, you need somebody that can, you know, just kind of spell those guys a little bit. Yeah, I don't know how much man you really expected from him, but that injury, it's kind of in what, maybe the worst position you could have it. To the Birdman? Uh, yeah. Yeah, if you're going to lose one of your four bigs, that's obviously the one. You hate to lose anybody, but oh yeah, he, he's mean, certainly the most expendable. But you, you need somebody to kind sure, of absorb that, those garbage time minutes of the regular season, and that, that's a little rough. Uh, yeah, and give them a rest every once in a while. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I'll see. It'd be interesting to see who they go after. Um I know we've been saying backup point guard this whole time, but um, that might change. I think Griffin will just go after, you know, the best deal he can get, you know, whichever one he thinks fills one of those two needs. I think if uh, whichever one he thinks gives him the most value, that's the one that he'll go for. So we'll, uh, we'll just wait and see. And you might be right about, uh, uh, about McCray. So, well, he certainly loves bringing Speaking of Griff, he certainly loves bringing in shooters as we've seen. If you just look at all the guys between bringing in Jr. and Fry and now Corver. So yep, uh, no he definitely question. has a game plan for how he wants to lay out this roster. It's, it's building it around Kyrie and, and LeBron as the facilitators. And 
um, you know, surrounding those guys with as many shooters as you possibly can. And at, that even their bigs can shoot other than Tristan. So, um, you know, I, I think that I, the thing that we kind of learned last night, and it was really, exp- and we didn't learn it last night necessarily, but it was certainly on display last night, is when you take LeBron out and you don't have Kyrie available, it's really difficult for the Cavs to get anything done offensively because they don't have anybody else that can really facilitate an offense. And I don't know, man. McCray was shaking and baking there. Moving all over the place. You're trying scoring to push my the, buttons. Scoring the basketball. I might. I might. I, I know. He, I know. He finished with twenty something <laughs> points, but uh, you know that's that's not what we need. And Didn't he have a crazy game last year too? I mean, it was a garbage end of the games or end of the season game, but he scored like forty some points, didn't he? I think it. I, I think he did have a, a crazy game, like the last regular season game of the year, year when everybody yeah. sat out. And I know he also went bonkers in a a D-League game as well D-league for Canton. So, yeah. Now, we'll see what happens with the Cavs. Um, I, I do think they're going to get something else done here, probably sooner than later. Um, and, you know, uh, if, if we want to throw out one of those New Year's resolutions, my, uh, my, my resolution for the Cavs is, please, dear God, do not trade or in any way, shape, or form acquire Rajon Rondo. Yeah, um, I'm with you on that. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you scared the shit out of me a little while ago. You, uh, you texted yeah, me. Yeah, I got Uncle Chaps. You got Chaps. So, <laughs> no, I, I'm with you. He's who? Why would anyone want him anymore? If you're a contender, now bringing him in, I feel like does you no good because he, he's just he's a cancer at this point. And I kind of hate that term. I feel like it gets overused in sports a lot. But he's a guy that just doesn't understand like he's abandoned I think team basketball at this point and he's just trying to you know do his thing I don't think he really cares about anywhere he's at and he outwears uh outstays his welcome pretty damn quickly just about everywhere he goes this was record time I mean you know Chicago was in here last night and he was benched in a healthy scratch because he's had that much of a falling out with the Bulls already and we're not even halfway through the season but yeah he burned a bridge in uh, Sacramento, he burned a bridge in Dallas. I mean, he was on a Dallas team when they made the playoffs. Uh, Richard Jefferson was on that team, and that he, Jefferson was, you know, that that roster, that, that team, they voted and not even give him a playoff share of the money that they got for for making the postseason. So shows you what they thought of him there. And obviously, he was gone from uh, Boston after he had a good run. So um, just to kind of broaden my point here, I, I specifically narrowed in on no Rondo. And I think that's still my, my biggest uh, plea above all else. But um, for, for Cavs fans, stop asking for Rondo and stop asking. Wait, whoa, whoa, wait, are fans asking for him? I have seen chatter. Yeah. People thinking like, yeah, we, we could bring in Rajon Rondo to be our, our backup point guard and he can play defense, even though he doesn't really play good defense anymore. And, um, I, I, I sometimes think that there are a lot of people that haven't seen Rondo play in about seven or eight years. And yeah, they just remember he's still the guy that was like Rondo the from Boston second year player in Boston that was on the title team there. And he's not anymore. And he hasn't been that guy in a long time. And he's gone through a lot of stuff since then. So yeah, stop asking for trades for Rondo and stop brainstorming trade ideas that involve getting rid of Kevin Love. 
I yeah, I think that needs to be put to sleep as well. I can't I, believe that's I will tell you happened. this. I was driving home today. It was a, a, a terrible drive home, even though we had less than an inch oh, of snow. Yeah. It took me an hour and 15 minutes to get home today. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Four. mine was close to an hour and 40, and I, I stopped at uh, the local pizza shop um, on Manor Avenue. On oh, my, pick yourself up a pie? I We did. Cu- a couple of pies on, on the I way like home. That. And, uh, as I, as I got in there, I caught the back half of somebody working behind the counter, talking to one of the coworkers. And the the phrase I heard was trade for Jay Crowder from uh, Boston. And I could tell that they were talking Cavs trade scenarios. And I, had I not been so hungry, I was very tempted to like throw my pizza right back at the guy and hit him in the head. For suggesting, even if I don't even know, he might not even have been directly saying a, a love for Jay Crowder. It's just that's the one that you heard for years. It feels like if you know Kevin Love was officially introduced on August first or whatever in 2014, by August third, there are already trade scenarios being thrown out there for him. And I, I just, I, I don't know. Like I, I don't know what it's going to take for anybody to like get past that mindset that is still stuck with it. Cause you know, if you look at Kevin Love's numbers this year, he's having far and away the best season he's ever had with the Cavs. Um, as, and as of the first voting results that came out for the all-star game right now, he's in line to be starting for the East all-stars, which should be tremendous. Um, and his, his stats right now, I, I think like, um, you know, his 36 minutes per game average stats are basically right in line with the numbers that he put up in his best year in Minnesota. And he's doing that as the third option on the Cavs right now, and uh, yeah, it's 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 one of his best seasons. Period. Yeah. So that um, like this this notion yeah. to like trade him for the poo poo platter from Boston or or you know or Boogie Cousins in um, Sacramento or any of these other goofy ass trade scenarios you get thrown out there, just stop. See, Boogie Cousins is an intriguing one because he's so damn good, but. I'm with you. I, I think this was the Kevin Love you wanted to see two years ago. Um, he was a little, yeah, he had a little bit of a slow start finding his place, um, figuring out how to work with the, work on this roster, but he's there now. I mean, he's putting up 22 and 11 a game. Um, he's exactly the guy you want, I think. And if he's your, your third option, I don't see any reason to, to go in another direction. And the other thing with him, I think the biggest concern with, with K love coming into this year was that, well, you know, he could play well against 28 other teams in the league, but golden state's the nightmare matchup for him. And I think when we saw Christmas day, go back and look at that game and look at the box score and how much he played and how much Channing Fry played. And Channing Fry was another one who was great through the Eastern conference finals and was basically a non-factor in the finals because both of those guys with the way golden state was built last year, uh, that was a, that was a matchup nightmare for them. But Golden State, the way they've reshaped their roster, they and the lineups that they're putting out there now, the Cavs found ways to keep both Love and Fry involved in the game. And, and Love played fine; he looked fine against the Warriors. And I think that really changes things if you're looking ahead to June and a you know part three and a trilogy with the Warriors in the finals. Uh, He's not necessarily the liability that we've kind of assumed he had been in the past couple of years. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm with you. I I, I like where he's at on this team. And truthfully, before the trade, um, before they traded for him, after they signed LeBron, he was the guy that I thought would fit the best on this team. 
and it's because of what he's doing now, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, yeah, like I said, we've seen him. He was slow at first. He didn't really fit in right away. Wasn't sure his role, and he wasn't really accustomed or uh, comfortable with what he was doing. Uh, he is now, so, and he and he's shown that he's still, you know, every bit one of the, well, I don't know, 15, 20 best players in the league. He's a really damn good player. Um, his production's not going to be what it was in Minnesota ever, but right now it's pretty damn close. Sure is. Um, and he's the third choice now, so I'm with you. Keep him where he's at. Don't do not do anything drastic. You want to go add a piece or two, okay, but beyond that, leave your core where it is. All right, did you have any predictions that you wanted to throw out there? I know you said you're not a real big resolutions guy, but go ahead with your predictions. Uh, I got nothing. NBA-wise, it's so hard because the season's halfway in. Um, I do have I'm one more say- Cavs one, but go ahead. It's not a Cavs one. It's an NBA one in general. Mm. I think Westbrook's going to do it. I think he's going to average a triple-double. And I think his team's going to miss the playoffs. Ooh. Uh, I'm watching them right now play the Rockets. And he's a guy that's he's just going to pile up stats all season in a bunch of meaningless garbage games. Um, so I think he's going to do it. And it's going to be all for naught. It's kind of a shame just to kind of tie that back to the Cavs that if you look at the numbers he's putting up and you look at what James Harden's doing for the Rockets and the crooked numbers he's putting up, it's probably going to cost LeBron any realistic shot at winning the MVP this year. And that's nothing against LeBron. It's more of a function of LeBron being surrounded by so many good players that are having great years. Yeah, LeBron's having one of one of his best seasons. He's been fantastic. Um, quietly, quietly, and, and it's hard for him to really do anything quietly. But he is quietly having, you know, an MVP caliber season. Sure, no question about it. But yeah, just the, the raw numbers, and especially Houston, I think, because I mean, you you mentioned Oklahoma City not making the playoffs. That that would be interesting. I I think they could probably still get in, but um, Houston, I think, is doing much better than anybody in envisioned and yeah I Harden is really kind of been the engine to make that all guard. go yeah I didn't see that point guard experience uh working out as well as it has obviously that's he seems way more comfortable than I thought he would yeah it's all kind right. of funny to think about Oklahoma City could have James Harden Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook and <laughs> how damn good would that team be that would have been wild if there was if only there was more than one ball yeah, that's that's that goes down as one of the great what ifs. I mean, you think about that. That was the year that LeBron won his first title down in Miami, and they beat the Thunder in five games. And everybody just kind of assumed, well, you know, the Oklahoma City, this this whole nucleus, those three guys and Serge Ibaka, they they're all young and in their their early to mid twenties, and they're going to be here forever, and and never got back. You know, it uh, got close last year, got damn close last year, even without Harden. But um, you just you can't take these things for granted, I guess. Yep. Yep. No question. All right. What do you got next? All right. The the far of far less importance, but just the last NBA thing I was going to predict just because I had it on my list here as I was scribbling out some ideas. The Cavs will have um, completely different uniforms next season. Oh, 
They're, completely, they're, huh? Yeah. Well, I, 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 or do you think they add a completely new one? No, they, their their whole set's going to change. I, I, oh. I, I think they're they're going to keep the wine and gold, and I think they're going to basically. I think what, if you look at their floor at the queue this year, I think that's a preview of what the whole team identity is going to look like next year in terms of it's going to be wine and gold and black with, if there's any Navy left, it's going to be just a minor accent color. And Rumor I just, is Dan Gilbert loves the Navy. He does. But um, if you just, I, I think back to the last time the Cavs did a uniform overhaul and it was the year after LeBron left the last year that he was here, you could start seeing signs around the arena, like the colors that they painted the tunnels and other little bits and pieces of their marketing and things like that, that had what became like the shade of wine and gold that they use now. And it was the year before they actually made that the official team colors. And if you look at this year, they got the black everywhere on the court, uh, all their marketing. Uh, anytime they put up graphics for like promotions during games on Fox sports, Ohio, it's very black heavy. Um, you know, I think the black uniforms in the finals last year, kind of became a, a cult favorite and just the signage around the arena. All the signs are kind of pointing towards that being it. And, you know, the, the NBA next year, league-wide, everybody right? jumps to Nike. So this is the last year for Adidas. and Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that... And that the Cavs are kind of one of their, I think are going to be kind of one of their show pony franchises just because they're... Oh, you think so? Oh, well, <laughs> I know I'm really <laughs> going out on a limb there. But, I mean, you got... Uh, they're one of the best teams, if not the... I mean, they're the defending champs. And, I mean, LeBron and, <clears throat> excuse me, Kyrie and Kevin Love are all Nike guys. So, I think that's uh, a team that they, you know, very obviously would want to invest heavily in. So, we're going to get the good shit. <laughs> Hopefully, it's they funny, do better I, with the with the Cavs than what they did to the Browns. Yeah, it's funny. I was, uh, I'm not sure. I guess that t-shirt jersey... I haven't seen Nike do that with any other college teams. Nike um, has no sleeve jerseys anywhere. So it'll be interesting to see if that stays around. I've always thought it was ugly, but they seemed the players seemed to be okay with it. So whatever, I don't really care that much. Got to be honest, I I absolutely hated it, and I thought is it growing on you? I, I thought for years I said it would be horrible if the Cavs ever caved in and got one of those. And when LeBron came back, I figured it would be inevitable because the NBA always likes to put their their big things like that on their you know showcase franchises so to speak and when the Cavs finally got theirs I was even more annoyed that it was a black jersey because black's not one of our colors or it certainly wasn't at the time but but you like it, it don't there's you? a there's a crazy thing when you have like the biggest night in your franchise history wearing a uniform suddenly it looks a lot better a little bit sure <laughs> no <question laughs> I've come around it. I never thought I'd say it but I'm there no question about it so, all right. All right. All right. Any other things on the Cavs or should we go move on to some other stuff here? I say jump to the next one. Go. All right. What do you got? Um, prediction, college football. Mm. Uh, Alabama will finally not make the playoff next year. Ooh. Bold going on a limb there. Uh, for this week, I'll just throw it out there. I think Clemson's going to win, but that's not really a, a yearly thing. But yeah, this is the year that Alabama doesn't make the playoff. JT Barrett will be a Heisman finalist. There you go. Wow. Okay. That's so why is got. why is Alabama, the the football factory of the South, not going to be in the playoff next year? Their defense is is incredible this year and is going to completely start over um, with the guys that they're losing. Um, they also 
their offense isn't that good now. So I, I don't know that they are going to have, um, I don't think they're going to have the firepower to, to score enough next year. And you look at the way that they, uh, the way that they played Washington last week, losing what they're losing. I just don't think they can overcome it. And I know that they reload every year. Um, I just think this is going to be one of those ones where they're, they're probably going to go like 10 and two, like they're still going to be really good. Um, I just think they're probably going to slip up one more time than they always do. Um, which on average they lose like one game a year. So if they <laughs> slip up and lose two next year, I think that could knock them out. Um, so that's what I'm going with. That's bold. I like it. I, I don't agree with it, but I, I like the, the courage here. That's I, I, here's the thing. I, I just am trying to figure out, okay, so if they don't make the playoff, there's no way you're getting the playoff without a team from the SEC. And they're so far ahead of everybody else in that conference. I don't see I don't anybody else. I don't know if that's true anymore. Okay. The SEC didn't look good this year. I think the, the shine is off of the SEC. I don't think they're getting that free pass that they've gotten in past years. If Alabama, say Alabama had lost to... I'd have to go look at the standings. I don't think it would have made a difference, but like last year where um, one different game would have knocked Alabama. So last year there was that weird Arkansas, I think Ole Miss game yep. where Arkansas converted like a fourth and 25 or some shit. And over time to that somehow kind of like got dropped in, in like four different podcasts for us last year. That was the recurring. Uh... It's this, it's just, this, it's, it's the most bizarre like <laughs> circumstance ever to determine a conference champion um, when the conference champion wasn't even involved in the game. But, um, so if something like that had happened this year, I don't think the sec would have gotten in. So say, say last year and this year were switched and that fourth down hadn't been converted. I know that's sort of a roundabout way to get to it, but say Ole Miss had somehow ended up winning the sec instead of Alabama. I don't think they would have gotten in. Mm. Um, I don't think just winning the sec guarantees you a playoff spot anymore, especially like you said, no one else in that conference is that good. That would be really interesting. Uh, that would be really interesting if the if you got a playoff with no SEC teams in there. I, I I have to see it to believe it. But do we while we're on the topic of the playoff, do we want to talk at all about uh, what happened last Saturday? Eh, not really. Ohio State didn't show up. I thought the defense played okay, kept them in the game in the first half. You can't miss field goals, and you know it just totally took the wind out of their sails. It's it's one of those games that. Uh, you forget about as soon as it's over. You don't want to go back and talk about it. So I, I feel like I, I just have a couple of quick points I, I will make about that. Even though they gave up 31 points, I do feel like the defense played a lot better than uh, 31 points would indicate. And I think for sure. the fact oh, for that sure. they kept him in that as long as they did, and it just kind of seemed like the dam broke in the fourth quarter when it became clear that Ohio State's offense wasn't going to score at all. And having said all that, um, I, I know it becomes – kind of the the trendy thing to say when you see a team get beaten that badly in the playoff especially when Ohio State became the first team in the three years of this to get in despite winning not winning its conference like oh they didn't belong in there after all I I don't think just because Ohio State lost that badly that somehow automatically means that one of the other teams that was in the mix for that spot would have done any better right Um, I'm with you I will say this though about this Ohio State team we're going to look back at this uh, defense and and wonder what if 
like all these guys that are leaving early. Uh, we got good news today that Tyquan Lewis is coming back, so the whole D line is still going to be intact. But they're losing four probably first round guys um, out of the defense. Two cornerbacks, um, Malik Hooker, obviously the safety who just exploded on the scene this year. Uh, Gary Ann Conley and Marshawn Lattimore, the DBs, and then um, Raquan McMillan, just guys that are all world basically like this this defense is so fucking good (laughs) yeah you're right that 31 points is gonna stick out like an albatross uh that's not on the defense no um it'll look that way if you just look at the box score but watching that game um you can't put a whole lot of the blame on the defense i mean it's gonna be one of those teams i think it was like late in the third quarter or early fourth quarter ohio state offense had three first downs for the entire game yeah they were, and, the defense and, was in horrible positions all day, and they kept, like in the first half, they kept making plays, you know. They got uh, that uh, incredible interception in the end zone by Hooker. Um, they kept getting stops. I mean, they didn't stop them every time, obviously, but if the offense could have done anything in the first half, um, that second half could very easily look a, a lot different. If they were able to get in the end zone once, you know, 17-7 or 14-7 at halftime, is is not the 17 nothing that it that it ended up being so um defense played their asses off and they're going to miss a lot of those guys that are leaving that uh you know i've seen more than one person this week since that game throwing out comparisons between malik hooker and ed reed (laughs) so i'll tell you what if he's if if malik hooker is there and i'm not i'm not draft ohio state guy guy in general like you know me, I'm not always just saying, oh, no, go draft this guy because he went to Ohio State. If Malik Hooker is there at 12, the Browns should sprint to the podium and grab him as quickly as possible. I think he's going to be he, he's one of those guys that will be the next one in line with the Palomalu and the Ed Reed of this division for a long time. And I think if you can get him and I'll just throw it out there now, draft preview. Um, (laughs) Miles Garrett is the guy that I want. I'd be fine with him or Jonathan Allen, either one. Take him. Take Hooker. If Jamal Adams is there at 12, I'd take him too. I'm afraid neither one probably will be, but um, that's the way I want to go. You know, I I just think he's going to be – I just think Hooker is going to be one of those guys. I'm I'm glad you brought up – Every year. I'm glad you brought up the whole, like, don't just blindly draft Ohio State guys. And for a long time – I was kind of that way too, and I got frustrated when people would always just, you know, kind yeah, of have that you know, small mind. Of, like, I'm as big Ohio State fan as anyone, but I also I, I can identify. Yeah, he was a good college player. He may not make a great pro. Well, you just see the Browns get burned with guys like I hate to you know drag him, but Robo like Rubisky. That was in yeah. Um, that was kind of the first one that jumped out at me, and Brian Hartline was another one, although maybe not necessarily. It was just sort of a random free agent ad, though. I'm not sure that's the same. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I I will say, though, that on the whole, I think my attitude towards drafting Ohio State players has really kind of changed in the last few years since Urban's taken over the program. Yeah, Joey Bosa and Zeke Elliott will do that to you. Well, you just, you look at the, uh, you know, Shazier, is playing well yeah. for for uh, the Steelers, Cam Hayward, and, and there's a lot of different guys that have come out of the Ohio State program in the last few years that are making major impacts on the NFL. And um, I, yeah, I, I don't think they there's necessarily the the stigma 
on you know Ohio State players being good college players, not translating to the NFL that there might have been when uh, when when Trestle was there or yeah or for previous. a long time for a long time the guys you know the Ohio State guys that were going in like the first or second round by and far and far by and large they were you know underwhelming players they didn't usually live up to it. like AJ Hawk was a fifth pick I think and he didn't have a great career. Um, like Michael Jenkins, the wide receiver was a first round pick. Bobby Carpenter was a first round pick. You know, these guys that were first round picks just never lived up to it. And I think that's sort of been the ongoing theme. Um, I think that's, I think that's sort of gone. I think the last couple of years, um, they've been showing, you know, they got guys that can play and those are, you know, those are guys you'll want on your team at the next level. Yeah. All right. You want to throw out another prediction? You don't have anything for college football? Uh, I, I don't, I, All I right, I'll jump to baseball. I'll jump to baseball. Go. I'm ready. Tribe makes the world series again. Cubs don't. Hmm. I like it. What do you think? Give, I, me, give me something, man. I You're feel, not giving it to me, man. <laughs> I feel great about where the Indians are at. Uh, I, I, you know, it was a great day today with the introduction of Encarnacion and, you know, I was talking to my dad a little bit before you and I got started with recording this, and he's a little bit nervous about the outfield situation, and he's still having the flashbacks to that ball dropping in right center field in game six and things like that. Uh, and the Encarnacion deal doesn't really address that. And, you know, you lose Rajai Davis this week. That's another guy that was, you know, kind of counted on in the outfield who's going to be gone now. And, and I, I got to be honest, that one kind of surprised me a little bit when I saw, like, what the numbers were that he signed for, like only $6 million for one year. It feels like that, that should have been in the Indians budget. And it certainly doesn't seem like money is a problem for them right now. So um, I don't know. Maybe I agree. I, just... I thought that, I thought that was a little strange too, for that, for that, you know, it wasn't a long-term deal by any stretch of the imagination and 6 million bucks isn't nothing, but yeah, I'm with you. I thought if that was what it took, he would have been happy to stay here. I don't, I'm not sure what, what my the guess was there. My guess is they're thinking they're kind of selling high on him, just looking at his age and how many more years can he put up the numbers that he put up this past year. Yeah, but if you're only signing him for one, who cares how many years right. he has to do? Well, it. the other thing to keep in mind is if Oakland falls out of contention, that that contract's very tradable, and you might just go get him right back at the deadline again. So that's true. That's not that's true. I'm also well back to what you were saying about the uh, about that ball dropping in the outfield and them not addressing it. My other tribe prediction hmm. Michael Brantley's going to return to form okay that's another one bad. I don't agree with and I think he's going to be not not like third in the MVP voting like he was the one year but I think he's going to be uh, a damn good player for this team again next year and I realize so far I'm going all positive on you and that's a little confusing and you're not used to that from me but um, yeah I, I just I'm Maybe it is that I'm just staying positive, <laughs> um, but I think he's going to be back and I think he's going to be a damn good player for him again. I am going to set the over under on number of games he plays for 2017 at 50. I, I just, I, everything I've read, everything I've heard, the timeline just doesn't sound good. And there's just way too many signs. There are way too many signs out there to me that are screaming Grady Sizemore part two. Yeah, okay, fine. 
Sorry, that, I don't want to want to harsh no, your buzz here or anything, but that analogy is very appropriate. That it bothers just, me. It, it concerns me. That said, my prediction for the Indians is I I'm with you in, in terms of them being in the mix for the World Series. I think that obviously makes them buyers at the trade deadline. And I, having said all that, I think their number one priority at the trade deadline this year, or possibly they might get something done before the season starts, it will be to acquire another starting pitcher. Really? Yes. Because I think as we learned the hard way in the World Series, you can never have too much starting pitching. And I, I just, I cannot see them putting themselves into a position again. I'm not saying it's going to be like the pitching equivalent of the Encarnacion signing or the Andrew Miller trade for the bullpen. I I think it's a middle of the rotation towards back end of the rotation type of supplemental complementary type piece. And I think that that's something that would be very useful. I think they got caught in a position last year in the world series where they put way too much on Corey Kluber because they had nobody else to turn to and, I mean, he took him as far as he could, but um, I, I just I, I think that's just one of those positions that you always you, you, there's no such thing as a surplus, and who knows what Carrasco and and Salazar are going to look like this year, and who knows you bring somebody else in, maybe that uh, lets you move Salazar to the bullpen or something crazy like that if you really want to get nuts. I don't know, but um, I, I think that'll be a target for them at the at the deadline. What do you think? I just came up with another one that I that I am gonna throw out there, and I didn't have this jot it down. But uh, Trevor Bauer won't be on the Indians at the end of the year. Hmm. Okay. I feel like he just doesn't really have a place on the team anymore. Um, and I know what you're saying about they're not being you know you can't have too much starting pitching, but I I honestly think with what they saw in the playoffs, if they get Carrasco and Salazar back, now that's a big if, but if they get those two guys back and with Kluber, those are their top three. Tomlin, I think in the playoffs clearly earned his spot as a four. And I think between uh, Clevenger and uh, the kid whose name is escaping me, Merritt, um, I think they want to see what they have from those two. I'm not saying that they're hundred percent comfortable with them. And I'm not saying that they're going to be starting games, in the world series, but I think they want to see what they got out of those two guys. I don't know if there's that many starts out there for Trevor Bauer. Okay. I, I, I can't refute that. Um, that that's really I interesting. See, I, I like it. Moving to the bullpen. Okay. He's an interesting guy. It, it, uh, <laughs> you got to kind of wonder. Yeah, I actually like Bauer. So I know that I know he gets kind of a lot of people give him a lot of shit around town, but I actually like him. So I'm not just saying that cause I don't like the guy, but, um, I just have a hard time figuring out how he's going to get innings. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could see that. All right. My last prediction for the Indians, and this kind of directly ties into the, uh, Encarnacion signing today. I think we are going to see a significant spike in their average attendance for next year. I believe we better. Well, I believe this past year it was uh, right around 19,000 a game for 2016, which put them in the bottom three in the league. And um, I I think we are going to see an average attendance of the Indians this year of at least 23,000 a game, which would be a huge jump. That is a huge jump. They've already know where that would like put them in the league. I, I don't, but um, I, I would say that, I mean, 
it would certainly move him up a few spots at least. And uh, I, I know f- from right now that just reading Kevin Kleps from Cranes this morning, he had said they're already 2,100 full season ticket packages ahead of where they were last year. And they're 4,800 better than 2012. And they've got the most season ticket packages they've had since 2009. So, <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, their attendance last year was 19650 okay. on average. That put them 28th in the league. There you go. Uh, if they can get to call it call it 24, mm-hmm. uh, they'll move all the way. They would move all the way up to uh, 24. Wow, they'd move, still they'd that low. Three spot, they'd move up three spots. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, Four spots, but yeah, that's. Uh... Yeah. Oh yeah, they pass Miami, Chicago, Cincy, and Philly. Man. I, I mean, I, I, okay, that's still, I guess, on the whole, wouldn't be that great, but you're not going to – even I still – I honestly think they're going to be – I think they're going to be higher than that even. If, you, if you're saying they're at 19 now and they've already got 2,000 more yeah. season tickets sold, that's 21. That's almost 22. You're going to get more walk-up attendance than you got last year. You're still going to sell a lot more by the – I think they're probably going to be closer to like 26, 27-ish. That'd be great because they, they've deserved it. And I do think it's a great sign that there have been a number of season ticket packages sold directly around the time that the Encarnacion news was announced when it was, you know, that first came out was that last week or the week before. So, I mean, I think for years we've heard people saying, well, you know, when the Indians start spending money on their roster, then, you know, I'll start spending money on them and, you know, maybe people are putting nice their money spot. where their mouth is. That's 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 yeah. awesome to see, and I think the Indians have earned the benefit of the doubt. They've earned it the hard way because <laughs> it, it, they really had to fight for it. But I mean, they're there, and and it's good to see. And I think they're going to be in contention for a while. And um, you know, that'd be fun. And and the reason that's so directly tied uh, to the Encarnacion news, I I was kind of surprised. I I flabbergasted even by the this clause in his contract that he gets bonuses tied to their season attendance. Yeah. I heard that and I didn't see exactly what they are, but I hadn't, I'd never heard of that. Have I, yeah, I, I, I haven't either, but I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's uh it's just kind of crazy that, you know, for years, the Indians have been criticized for not spending money. And that's been the knock on them from fans. And now fans are going to have a direct say in how much they have to pay one of their players that they signed because it's, it's directly tied to the attendance. And I mean, it's not like a huge part of his annual salary or whatever, but I mean, it, I think it's at least uh, a couple mil. It could, it could get up to depending huh. on how many they draw. So yeah, I haven't seen the specifics, but I, I saw that it was out there. I don't have it in front of me gonna... now and I, I should have gotten <laughs> it, but yeah, it, it, that's just, it's kind of wild. It it's, it's come to that. So <laughs> All right. Yeah. Do you have any? Uh, any? We we kind of touched on the Browns briefly. Did you have any other predictions for them that you wanted to put out? Uh, yeah. Here's one. I can finally be negative. Um, at this time next year, the Browns still won't have their quarterback. Oh no! Oh. <laughs> but, but, <clears throat> but I think they will finally be in a position where, um, I, I think they'll kind of be. And I'm not even really sure how to. I think they'll be in a position where if you brought a quarterback in, he'd have a chance to succeed. Because okay. right now, I don't think he could. 
if you had a quarterback this year, I don't really think anyone that you would have drafted last year and brought in any of those guys, I don't think any of them would be any good this year, no matter what. I think by this point next year, they'll be ready to bring in a quarterback and he will have a chance to, you know, develop. He may not win a whole lot like day one, but you know what I mean. Okay. I, I don't have necessarily a prediction for the Browns, but I do have a New Year's resolution for the Browns. And that would, that would be stay the course with this group in your front office and your coaching staff. I agree. I, I, I know, I, I think we had kind of talked about this with Jeff Shudell a little bit about this whole idea of bringing in a quote unquote football guy to, to mix in with their guys in the analytics backgrounds. And I just, you know, the more I thought about it, I, I, I don't want that. And if you want to bring those guys in as like advisors and stuff, I think that's fine. But I don't want you to shake up, you know, the top of your front office. I, I don't want any changes to the front office between now and the draft because you've got free agency in the middle of there as well. And if, if you listen to some of the things that like Dee Podesta and, and Sashi Brown had said, it was, you know, we were working trying to play catch up last year from the time they were hired. And I think they got, especially when we found out that Hugh Jackson was apparently near, near death in uh, early March, like right around the time free agency was getting started. You know, they, they were really kind of caught flat footed and not prepared. And it led to a, a, a not great showing in, in free agency. And, you know, the draft was kind of shaky and, and we won't really totally know the value of what they got out of that draft for another year or so. But um, just the, the thing is this, is everything that those guys did to this point, everything they've done to this point has been to position themselves to, to really attack this off season. And you might not like everything that happened to get us to this point. And I know this was a horrific season and it's going to be really hard. I'm not saying that they're, you know, going to be able to like push a bunch of buttons and all of a sudden get to 10 wins next year or anything crazy like that. But Everything they did, they, they've got themselves a clean cap sheet. So they've got a lot of money to spend. They've got a, a shit ton of draft picks to work with. They've got four picks in the top 50, two in the top 12, including the number one overall pick in the draft. This is what they've set themselves up for. And I don't think you are doing yourselves any favors by bringing another cook into the kitchen at this juncture of the game. This they set themselves up to get rolling in this offseason. Let's, you know, I don't know if they're going to get it right, but I don't need somebody else in the equation, you know, meddling or, or being another voice to to complicate things or distract now. And, you know, I just, I, I think back a little bit to what happened with the Banner Lombardi front office with, with Chud coaching. And, you know, obviously they're not going to have a radical overhaul like they did after that one year, but, you know, if you think back to what that front office did in their one year with the draft, they they traded down and they stockpiled for the following year. And then they didn't get a chance to actually, you know, make those picks the following year. They, they, they got the rug pulled out from under him and then it went to Ray Farmer because he's the, the guy, the, you, know, you know, Joe Banner was the, uh, the businessman who didn't really have any business in football operations. And Ray Farmer is the real football mind. And, you know, we saw what that led to it was Johnny football and uh, Justin, the hard sleeper Gilbert. And, um, you know, I, I just, I think there's some value in letting guys see their vision out a little bit. And this is what they built. Now 
if this goes horribly wrong and and it becomes readily apparent that they've blown another draft and they still are going into next season forty million dollars under the cap and they don't sign any free agents of any value whatsoever, then yeah, I think at that point, you know, next year you can start asking some tough questions. But at least for now, let it play. What do you want to do any really quick, any preference on prior or Jamie Collins? Um I don't know. I I, I got to be honest. I, I I have a really hard time saying anything one way or the other about Jamie Collins because basically the the point of the season that they got him, season was so far gone at that point. I, I had such a hard time actually paying attention to their games, and I'm not sure in the back half of the season if I watched the game from start to finish. So, uh, I. I I mean, I can only go by what other people have said, and, and I'm not really going to add any value to the conversation with that. Uh, prior, I, you know, I have my concerns. I, I think just some of the incidents he's had with defensive backs and other teams kind of leave me scratching my head a little bit. But, I mean, you can't deny the talent and, and the physical ability, and I think it would be certainly exciting. I mean, they need playmakers, um, and I, I, I personally would be inclined to, to try to get something done with him. And I suspect they will. Sounds like he wants to come back. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I'd like them to find a way to keep both of them. Um, I'm not sure which one, you know, it, it, I think it's likely that one of them ends up getting franchised. Um, I'm not sure if that means they'll be able to sign the other one or not, but um, I'd like to see him keep bring them both back. Cause I think they are both, I mean, they're both young, they both are, I mean, the Browns can't afford to get rid of talent. They just need talented players. So it's not, I I would say, oh, they're at a position of need. Every position's position of need for them. So, <laughs> so it's not, yes, that's always true. Um, with the exception of left tackle for now. Um, so yeah, I'd like to, them to find a way to keep, uh, keep them both, whether that means franchising one and signing the other, signing them both. I don't know, but um, yeah, I'm with you. You put a gun to my head. My prediction for that scenario and the way that plays out would be that um, uh, they get a deal done with Pryor for multiple years and Jamie Collins gets the franchise tag. That's my guess, too. And see what Collins, see see what he does next year and see if he, he can decide whether he wants to be here or not. I'm not, I'm not totally sold that he does. I kind of think he just wants to get paid, but... Um, if he wants to let the Browns pay him, then so be it. If he's going to be, you know, an all pro caliber player, like he was in new England. Yeah. All right. Anything else before we get out of here? No, that's about all I got. All right. Well, Hey, listen, uh, just to bring it full circle here, I just took a quick peek at Twitter. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, uh, always the most dialed in guy in the NBA. He says that uh, the Cavs and the Hawks are trying to find a third team to send Mike Dunleavy to. They'll possibly turn it into a three-team trade before they uh, officially phone this in on Friday. So if that Woj doesn't, bomb. yeah, that's the the Woj bomb. That's your Woj bomb for the show tonight. There you go. But uh, it does sound like if if they can't get a third team to take Dunleavy, that the Hawks would be willing to to keep him. So, um, yep, there you go. But so uh, one way or the other, Kyle Korver coming to the Cavs, and it sounds like it'll be official on Friday right around the time that uh, hopefully everybody's downloading and listening to us. Yep. You got it. All right. Good stuff, man. Well, this was fun. And, uh, 
I think uh, I think that should cover it for the week. So, hey, listen, um, if you enjoyed the show, go subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play. You can always listen to all of our old episodes on our website, thenailpodcast.com. And go like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thenailpodcast. We've been posting some other fun stuff up on there uh, for the past few weeks, so we're going to keep doing that as well. So Yes, in 2017, resolve to listen to us every week. How about that, that one? That is the best New Year's one? resolution of all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. All right. So for Travis Julius, this is Tom Valentino. It's been the nail in the coffin, and we will talk to you again next week. Get ready, race fans, because the ultimate NASCAR experience is about to hit the airwaves. Welcome to Pit Pass NASCAR, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart-pounding world of NASCAR racing. Join us each week as we bring you closer to the NASCAR action with exclusive interviews and all the news and rumors you need with your favorite drivers, team members, and industry insiders. So whether you're a fan of super speedways, short ovals, or road racing, or you've just watched Talladega Nights, Pit Pass NASCAR is the podcast you've been waiting for. Get ready to fuel your passion for NASCAR like never before. Subscribe now to Pit Pass NASCAR on your favorite podcast platform or head to evergreenpodcast.com and get ready to join us. Launching in the fall on Evergreen Podcast Network. Follow us on social media at pitpass underscore NASCAR to stay up to date with everything you need to know about the podcast.